When Billy was a young child, he was very, very ill, so much so that he was in the hospital for several weeks. His parents sat vigil by his side day and night, but his condition grew more and more grim. After several weeks, the nurses called the hospital chaplain and asked if he would make a visit. The chaplain arrived, introduced himself, and asked if he could pray with the family. At the time, the father was blind with angry that his son was experiencing such great suffering. He couldn't bring himself to begin a conversation with a man who represented the God who would allow such a thing to happen. Billy's father said nothing, but also did not run the chaplain out of the room. The chaplain took this as a sign that he didn't have to leave and simply sat in the corner and began to pray. Whenever he was on call for the next month and a half, the chaplain arrived in Billy's room, took his seat in the corner, and prayed for several pre-dawn hours. One morning, the chaplain found Billy sitting up and talking to his parents. He was overjoyed to truly meet Billy for the first time and to see the relief and gratitude in his parents. There were no formalities, just a hug and a word of thanks before the chaplain went on his way. I learned of this story at Billy's ordination to the priesthood. You see, that nameless chaplain had a lasting impact on Billy's father's faith. He came to know and love the God who might dare to send someone to keep vigil with him in his darkest hour. He came to know and love the God who didn't need a lot of words or empty promises, but whose gift of companionship beat him to his son's hospital room in the earliest hours of the morning. He came to know and love the God whom he encountered in their faith community as Billy began his long road to a full recovery. But it was that nameless, forgotten priest whose companionship changed everything for Billy's father. Billy, in his own time, sought to share a faith as inspired and joyful as his father's. And so it was at Billy's ordination that the preacher made the following invocation. For God's sake, Billy, become the forgotten priest. When I've told this story in the past, I find that some are disappointed that the chaplain was not able to heal Billy with a laying on of hands. The moral that some hear is that when God's healing powers are not strong enough, medicine will hopefully see us through. But I think that is to miss the point altogether. The point is that people, even those whom we don't want to welcome, those whom we find annoying, those who believe differently than us, even these people are a gift beyond measure. People are one of God's greatest gifts to us. Now, I have to admit, as an introvert, I find this bold proclamation about people potentially terrifying. As someone who is just emerging from a pandemic that allowed for plenty of glorious quiet time, I find this declaration about people even more annoying. But let me try and clarify. When we come alongside one another as companions, new possibilities come to life that were not previously present. In fact, people give us an opportunity to encounter God in the flesh. If you will recall, we are each made in God's image, 
and thus carry a part of the divine within us. We are not perfect. We are not Jesus, but we each have something holy to offer. So it comes to be that each of us, with our very presence, has the potential to bring God's love and mercy to every encounter we have. We have one of scripture's most powerful examples of companionship in today's lesson from Luke in Mary and Elizabeth. I have so many questions about the story, none of which are actually relevant for our understanding, but I do have a friend who wants to know. Mary was very, very young. So when they say Elizabeth was old, was she actually old or just what we would refer to as a geriatric pregnancy, which is anything under the very young age of 35? So like I said, just asking for a friend. Mary and Elizabeth both have reason to be in awe. They are unexpectedly pregnant, and though the cause of their surprise is unique, their experiences are similar at the core. Elizabeth is carrying the messenger, and Mary is carrying the message. And like every other first-time mother, neither have the slightest idea what they are about to experience. If you peel back yet another layer, they are both immersed in the awe-inspiring wonder that is bringing another into this world. Their bodies know how to do something they've never done before. Though one of the most physically grounding experiences imaginable, it is nearly otherworldly. This is the context in which Mary and Elizabeth come to spend several months' time together. It is both completely mundane and nothing short of divine all at the same time. Day in and day out, they marvel at the ways in which their bodies are changing. Day in and day out, they share their hopes and anxieties about the life that is growing inside of them. Day in and day out, they wonder how their own lives will be forever shaped by these tiny humans whom they do not yet know. After many days of marinating in this awe and wonder, Mary puts to words what they have shared. And remarkably, It's not at all a reflection of where I imagine most mothers land with their pregnant ruminations. Together, they have arrived at a magnificent place. The companionship that Mary and Elizabeth shared gave birth to an experience that may have otherwise been unknown. The dynamic that comes about when two or more gather together is unlike that which is possible in isolation. Empathy has the, power to re- has the potential to repair any sense of disconnection or damage. Joy is muted until it is amplified by another. Together, our life's experiences, both the worst of the worst and the best of the best, are magnified by that which is shared. In the history of the church, Jesus' mother, Mary, has received a great deal of reverence and awe, and rightfully so. But most often, this type of adoration is made from a safe distance. We tend to put Mary on a pedestal and assume that there has not been another who has come close to her love and sacrifice. But I wonder if this does anything other than separate us from her experience. There is much to be gleaned in today's text and from Mary's life that is deeply relatable and accessible. Perhaps the gift that is most overlooked, but that is interwoven through Mary's story, 
is companionship. The gift of Jesus' birth was God's immediate and lasting declaration that God longs to be with us. There is nothing God desires more, even to the point of sacrifice, than to be our companions. We see it in the birth of Jesus, but also in the magnifying voice of his cousin John. We see it in the, present, in the pregnant expectations of an unwed teenage mother, but also in the Magnificat that came to life once Mary shared her experiences with her cousin Elizabeth, and that to this day is the song of countless others who are lifted up by God's mercy. We see it in the invitations of the 12 disciples and then the 70 elders to share in Jesus' mission. There are so many examples of the holiness of companionship in Scripture. God longs to be with us, and thus there is profound holiness in this call to be companions. This morning, I hope you might take with you an appreciation for the gift of companionship and wonder about how you might come alongside another to offer the gift of your presence. You don't have to say the right thing. In fact, it may be prudent to just sit, simply sit in the corner and pray. People are among the holiest gifts. Amen.